Hello, everybody. It's Dave Neal, stand-up comic host of Bachelor Nation News. I hope everyone's having a great Monday out there in Bachelor Nation. This is Bachelor Rush Hour. Oh, yeah. Maybe you're driving home from work, you're doing who knows what, but we are here together, and this is going to be a lengthy yet interesting episode. So maybe you don't finish it all in your 30-minute commute, but worth listening to regardless. Chris Harrison, after two years of not talking, not commenting uh, from his dismissal, his firing from Bachelor Nation has decided to start a podcast, the most dramatic podcast ever. In this podcast, he shares a lot of information about his exit from the show. Now, he doesn't share everything. A lot of the kind of uh, comments about what he could have said or what he's missing, we'll get to. But first, I'm going to share for you guys my reaction to the different clips I found interesting in the first two podcast episodes that Chris Harrison released. That's right. He released two last night, making my day start very early. It's a very early morning here in Bachelor Nation, or it was when we made this content. All right. So without further ado, here's Chris Harrison and what he has to say about exiting The Bachelor and where he is now in his life. Have a listen. There's, there was no template for, for this. There was no playbook. The playbook had been thrown out the window. And I'll talk a little bit more about that and cancel culture in a minute, but please do there. The toughest thing for me was where to turn, what to do. And I probably should have led with this, but I was heartbroken. I was gutted. I was embarrassed. I was mad at myself. I was disappointed in myself. The last thing in the world I ever wanted to do was be an agent of anything negative. Whether it had to do with race or, or anything. I, the fact that I was involved in this and that I had a big part in this, and I do own that, there were many things out of my control and things definitely spun out of control for, for a number of reasons. But for my part in this, I was sick, sick to my stomach. And I lost 20 pounds. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. Yeah, if you want to lose weight for a spring break, just be a part of a gigantic race. Okay, so um, I want to say this. Everything that he says he wishes he would have done is advice, and I am patting myself on the back, that I gave him. He hired a, he's going to discuss this. He he talked to um, a crisis manager people. He said they didn't help him out. He said, all I wish I did was do this podcast at the time and had an honest conversation, which is all I said. But he comes from that school of thought that you protect the brand, you be, you, you, you become quiet. He, he kind of relates it back to Megan and Harry, which is actually a pretty interesting way to relate it back. We'll discuss that. I was scared to death of, not of my job, but of my family, um, my fiance, who God bless Lauren Zima for being there every step of the way. She is the only other human being that was there 24 seven. But, you know, I worried about my kids. I worried about my family, my mom, my dad, my brother, all my loved ones, my friends, you know, I'm, um, a bit of an empath and I, I'm very loyal to a fault. <laughs> um, but 
I'm a team player. And so when this happened immediately after the interview, and I don't want this to come in the wrong way, but really while I was sick to my stomach and I felt so disappointed that, that the interview went that way and it was on me because I controlled what I had to say. And, and while some of the things, while the point I was trying to get across, I, I stand by the way I did it. It was messy. It was disappointing. And it's just not me. So the point he was trying to get across is what he's going to explain next. And that is that he wanted to have grace and time for Rachel Kirkconnell. Now, he doesn't use any of these names in the podcast. Uh, Some people said, oh my gosh, he hasn't even said Rachel Lindsay's name. And then others, if he did say their name, might say, well, why is he dragging someone else into it? Like, So he's telling his story in a way that he's not dragging anyone else into it. He says, I'm very loyal to a fault. And I have to remind him and everyone else out there, your bosses are not your friends. Loyalty doesn't get you anywhere when corporations are psychopathic and you need to take care of yourself. Um, so out of that interview, I really wasn't too worried about my job. And uh, Rachel Lindsay had mentioned the same thing, that after they had that conversation, she was like, well, you know, she said he had texted her and kind of felt like, oh, yeah, that wasn't great, but it wasn't too bad. So um, clearly he didn't understand the scope of things, which he's going to get into uh, you know, this, uh, sort of, sort of leans on the idea that while we were in a once in a lifetime, uh, you know, time being it in the pandemic, um, uh, uh, civil unrest due to the George Floyd, um, uh, sort of like a movement that was happening of this, I think was very relevant. And so when I apologized, I felt like I, I needed that. And it was owed and I was fine with it. I'm, I'm telling you, I had no problem putting out that first apology, which I, it was a written apology I put out on, uh, on Instagram and, but there was just so much noise at the time. It just didn't matter. Apologies didn't matter. And to an extent, I tend to agree that his apology wasn't going to make much of a difference. I do think a longer conversation would have answered a lot of questions people had, but as we saw, his apology didn't, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, uh, get, extinguish any of the flames that were there to remove him from his job. And I've never seen a time like that. And in my life, I've never known that not to work to be, you know, if you, if you sincerely apologize and open your heart, And it was just like yelling in a, you know, in a cave. It just didn't matter. No, it just wasn't, it didn't move anything. And I think detractors or people that, uh, or sort of maybe cross-examining Chris here, they might say he only apologized because he wanted a favorable outcome. Well, I think you apologize in part because you admit you did wrong, but you also, it's also when you apologize, like say when you apologize in a relationship, you don't apologize and then get a divorce, you apologize, and then you, you you pledge to do better. And that's part of the growth that we normally see in society. Um, so he talks about that he should have podcasted from day one. Again, we're, we're kind of barreling through a lot of this, but there is so much to get to here. So if you want to listen to the full thing, don't let me stop you. How sorry I am, how heartbroken I am. I 
I worked really hard on that show for 19 years. Did I have say in, in the decisions that were made around there? I did not. I never once in the 19 years I was there hired or fired anybody. I never edited the show. And this part's very shocking to me. Like, I knew he didn't edit the show, but I actually did think he was more of a producer figure on the show. I thought he had more say in it, which just goes to show the networks in these bigger corporations and bigger production companies really are that powerful. That Chris Harrison, the face of a franchise for 20 years, really was just a, a um, an hourly employee, if you look at it that way. Meaning, I didn't decide what your storyline was. I didn't decide who an was expensive one. on camera what you were saying, none of that. I didn't cast the show, but I can't absolve myself because you can't show up every day and make a big paycheck and just say, I'm not a part of that. That's not fair. You either are, or you aren't. Now, I would like to think I was a part of a group of very talented, incredible people that I still care for. You know, the way the way that we convinced these people to have sex in a yurt, really no, okay, so yeah. Sure it was one it was a hit it's a hit TV show. So of course he's, you know, gonna reminisce about saying, Hey, look, uh was I there making all the critical choices? No, but was I sipping the Kool-Aid and part of it? Yes. And then he uh, talks about um how he thought he was being used politically. And I think he references or or at least would imply that he means because of the Black Lives Matter movement. This is where it gets interesting. This is kind of like what he said uh, and, and, then, and then apologized for was saying, talking about quote unquote woke culture. So it's a very hotbed issue because I know people are going to be listening to my recap and wondering, Dave, what side of the issue are you on? And I'll discuss this more at length on Bachelor Rush Hour, the podcast. But I have to say, there is a point to when you pick sides, then people start looking at who's picking sides. The people that defended Chris Harrison all received hate. And it's kind of one of those things whether because we have to remember Chris Harrison wasn't the one who went to an antebellum style party that was Rachel Kirk Connell and he as the host of the show uh took sort of the flack for the whole show when we have to remember the producers and all the other decision makers of the show pretty much used Chris as a scapegoat he was the spokesperson it'd almost be like if you didn't like something President Biden did and then his press secretary spoke about it. So you got the press secretary fired. That's almost what it is. Do you understand? So uh, it is a little foolish to think there is much change that happened here. But sometimes the figurehead of a company, uh, Chris Harrison in this case, uh, pays that price. Everybody. Politically, talk shows. Get into it. Podcasts. Power recap. Cast members. Um. You know, look, in this business, heavy is the head who wears the crown. I've been on the top of this thing for 19 years. I know people coveted my job. I know people wanted my job. Look, and he, it's true. You have to give him credit. Whether it's Jeff Prost, Chris Harrison, or the the uh, dude from Amazing Race. And the fact that I don't know his name just goes to show. There's a handful of hosts that have done this thing for that long on network TV, which might be dwindling in ratings now, but it's been the biggest sort of like uh, national audience you could have. He's got, he, he's, he's been on top. They'd be crazy not to. It's a great gig. Or so it appeared from the outside looking in. But 
it was a lesson I learned, honestly, season three, four, I was sitting at a party and, um, I won't out the bachelorette, but one of the bachelorettes walked in and I was sitting there on the couch and she sat next to me and she was talking to one of the, the, the director at the time and said, you know, I should, I should come back and host the next bachelorette. And I was sitting there and I said, you know, I'm right here. She's like, no, 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 no. I would just, you know, I would just host the bachelorette. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's my job. That's what I do too. Ah, so you can see some bitterness because people come for his head and they absolutely do. And sometimes when you have a position that's so sweet, people are going to come for you. All right. So he mentions talking about creating this influencer, influencer culture. And again, this is going to get kind of long. I'm going to have a second a video on this topic today because he released a second podcast. So after this, I'm going to have a part two that's going to be available only to people who subscribe to the YouTube channel. So make sure you're subscribed. It's free. All you have to do is hit the subscribe button. Uh, that's going to just be an added bonus for those that are subscribed. All right. So let's get into part. Um, let's get into the part where he talks about creating influencers. And it just, you know, don't mind me trying to get through all this right here. And your circle gets small, which is a good thing. As you get older, your circle gets smaller anyway, because you realize time is precious and you realize that there's only really a number of people you truly care and love to spend time with, but you, you figure out who's going to stand by you and stand up. But the craziest part of this is people started calling me right away said, Hey man, what can I do? You've always been there for us. You've been there for me. You've counseled us. You've, you know, helped us. It's our turn now. What can we do? Just say the word. And my advice to them was, don't say anything. So he did, he told people not to defend him. His brother wrote him a nice letter defending him. He said, take it down. He didn't want anyone defending him. It didn't matter who it was, what you said. You were going to be devoured. And he's got a point there. It was right. People were devoured for protecting him. Feel like, okay. I'm going to go backwards a little bit and try to find this one clip. This is finally behind us. Next day all over again. Thing made sense because what I know to do just wasn't working. And I talked to um, a crisis manager. By the way, I, I hope, I pray none of you ever go through anything like this. Mm, don't use a crisis manager. Ah, I'm not, I told them this. They're going to give you bad advice. I'm saying they're full of shit, but they're not great. Um, crisis manage crisis managers have not adapted to the way the modern world works. And to their credit, nothing prepared any of them for this. And I was also astonished at how many people had their handout wanting to get paid for this, taking advantage of this situation. Love it's it. a bizarre thing. I'm telling you, I will... Not only this podcast, I, I, I should teach a master class and, and speak to universities about this because it you is- might have to if you can't get another gig. Uh, he's like, Professor Harrison. All right. So the timing's a little off because every every time you listen to a podcast, they put in different um, uh, advertisements. So it's, it's throwing off my time codes here. So let's go back to 21. I'm trying to find a very specific moment where he talked about the politics of it all. It's very interesting. Things they were saying, and one of it was, when things go sideways, don't speak. 
because that is what everybody wants. And when I say everybody, the tabloids, the clickbait, oddly, sadly. So this is where he's comparing himself to the, to the royal family. And it's a weird thing when I, when I counsel bachelors and bachelorettes when they're going through things and they often call me on the side and say, hey, what should I do? I said, honestly, shut up. And that's the advice they gave Rachel Kirkconnell um, to not talk. And of course, it made the situation worse. Don't speak. And it is so contrary to everything that you are brought up to believe, especially me. I'm a, I'm a Southern guy, proud. I, I'm, I'm taught to stand up, look you in the eye and speak and, and own it. Well, kind of back to the Harry Meghan thing, you know, what the royal family or the royal press folk were like, don't speak. Don't give them anything because they will take anything you do say and it will be held against you in the court of public opinion. Which is true, but you still can share your full story on a podcast as you're doing now. So even though it will be taken uh, out of quotes, you can show and your b- believers and the people that actually hear you out can hear your full side. It'll be the next clickbait headline. Even if you say, you know, oh, I, I so going back to... Uh, when I was going through my divorce, which was very public back in the day. And I remember I, um, no, Chris is great. You know, I, I, he, he went up and, and gave, uh, Julianne Huff a hug and and you're being used. And that was the, here's where he talks about being used politically. Learn just to sit there and take it. And that sucks. And in this situation, it really sucked because people are talking about you and you're being used. And that was the craziest thing about this is that once this happened, it's, I, I guess the best analogy is if you were in a, a tsunami or, or if you're a surfer, if you've ever been surfing, you're in, there's a huge wave and this massive wave, you don't make it over the top. And so you get thrown down to the bottom of the ocean and you're in, it's like you're in a, a washing machine. You're getting thrown around, but it's over, right? In about five to eight seconds, if you hold your breath and you keep your head about you, you float to the top and it's over. Or you get eaten by a shark. And you, when you come up, it's actually really serene. It's really placid. It's calm. But that wave is rolling on and it's destroying more and it's loud. And that's how I felt because when I got hit by this wave and I was being thrown around, the decision was made, okay, apologize, which I did. And then don't speak. And that's what I was counseled. And I tentatively agreed, okay, this, this too shall pass. We've been through things somewhat like this before, but this too shall pass. Not a big deal. But that noise in this moment in time didn't stop. And that's where the playbook was thrown out the window. And that's what none of us were prepared for. This moment in time. And that's what I wasn't prepared for. Because all of a sudden, this moment and my name became synonymous with this political lightning in a bottle moment. And all of a sudden someone on CNN is talking about me for purposes of the left. Interesting. And then 
Ben Shapiro and whoever on Fox is talking about me about, you know, conservative whatever. And this is what's wrong in the world. And so I was being used by the right. And so the left wing, the right wing, the middle wing, everybody was talking about me wow. in this moment. And I wasn't speaking. It's true. It's true that they were talking about him, whether you agree with one side or the other. I personally think we need to find a way to separate like uh, certain issues and make it less um, binary, left versus right, because I think it's a very fascinating conversation. And when we make it left versus right, we turn off part of our, you know, half of the country will turn away because they think that they're on the, you know, the wrong side of an issue. And I don't think that's a productive way to have a conversation. Uh, that's how volatile it is out there. Uh, uh, regardless of which side you want to be on, the communication uh, uh, window is completely shattered. I want to share one last part of this interview here where he talks about paparazzi following him and the show's ratings. Very fascinating stuff. The people who were had that insatiable appetite to kind of destroy and cancel, they weren't hearing it anyway. They weren't going to hear anything where that was going to stop them in their tracks and go, oh, okay, I see. And the people that on the other side didn't need to be convinced anyway. So there was no good that was going to come from speaking. Which is why we have to exist in today's world in a membership style model. I hate to say it. I'm not just saying that to promote my Patreon, but the only way you can't cancel um, someone's uh, it cancel and cancel is still a heavy word to use. But the only way you can't uh, go to someone's advertisers and get someone fired if you don't like their opinion or what what they did or don't think that they're worthy of an apology is if they're behind a paywall. If you look at Spotify, that they're all, they're all behind a paywall, and that's why people like Joe Rogan weren't um, fired when there was heavy sort of. Pro protest to have him removed. Um, you don't see many people with strong opinions on, um, you know, on mainstream TV because they've, they, they're not allowed. And I think it's important. And this is why I, I actually am, am one that believes that like on Twitter, there should be a space for most people to have uh, reasonable conversations because if someone has a bad point of view, you can call them out and you can, you know, talk about that versus just like deplatforming someone, which means that that point of view goes underwater and then other, and then it, it, it doesn't extinguish the point of view. It, it's, a, it's almost like mold. The mold's still there. You just paint it over it. You know, it's always dicey when people talk about cancel culture. Some people say cancel culture doesn't exist, but cancel culture basically is defined as losing a paycheck or some form of a job or income or reputation over something you said or did. Cancel culture itself doesn't have to be a bad thing. Uh, of course, there's an argument over whether or not someone was canceled too far. Of course, I've thought long and hard for two years about this scenario with Chris Harrison. I would have much preferred him to be counseled over his issues, talk about that with his platform and be sort of a, a beacon for change, a beacon for growth and progress. I think that's what we all want, right? In society is progress. So I don't always see someone being quote unquote canceled as a solution. I think a better solution would have been a, a, a shared knowledge, not political divide, which I feel like is where we still exist. Now, of course, there are times when someone needs to be canceled, like 
like Weinstein, never needs to work. Again, he is a monster. So there is a spectrum amongst canceling that exists out there. Some people just don't like to hear that. They go, oh, Dave's, Dave's against cancel culture. They make it seem like you have to be either for or against something. But the whole world and everything that is in it exists on a spectrum. All right, I'm going to play the next clip, which is the video uh, or the, the the YouTube video I made, which is audio form for you guys, which is the uh, Lauren uh, Zima, uh, Zima as in the nice uh, alcoholic beverage from the 90s. Lauren, right? Do you guys remember that? Lauren Zima uh, and Chris Harrison furthering the discussion. Lauren brings in some bombshell information. After I share this clip, I'm going to play some of your voicemails, what you thought after listening. That's right. We have a voicemail number, 401-213-9828. I'm going to be uh, exercising the right to party and uh, and share your thoughts. Uh, I always have thought of my YouTube channel and now the podcast as a place where we could have a conversation. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. I've got three voicemails lined up, but if you want to call in, I'll play them on tomorrow's voicemail. Uh, 401-213-9828. Just try to leave the voicemail 30 to 45 seconds. You know, don't, you know, some people get excited to just talk to somebody. I totally get it, but I don't need to hear your grandmother's biscuit recipe. I mean, definitely DM me that. I'd love to know it, but, you know, save everybody, uh, uh, for the, save it for the private uh, DMs. All right, here we go. Here's what Lauren Zima has to say. What was the effect on you initially? I think the hardest part was understanding it because I didn't feel like I was watching you. I know that wasn't you in that interview. I know that it wasn't the way you, you know, felt the way, what was being perceived was not how you felt in your heart. And I knew that. And so I was also just mad because I thought, how could you do this? How could you be so messy? How could you not see how you were sounding? But what I quickly realized is that everybody makes mistakes. And to me, the most, including myself many times, obviously. um, And to me, the most important thing about a human is how, is what their intention is and how they react after they make a mistake. And that- of course, I agree. It's um it's it's okay, honey, I know I said this, but what I meant to say was this. I'm sorry, I'm going to pledge to do better. Every conversation with a spouse goes this type of way or should at least in a healthy way. No one's going to be perfect. How we act following that is important. By firing someone, we don't get to see the retribution, we don't get to see the reemergence, we don't get to see and this is what gets important. We don't get to see Chris Harrison having conversations with his base, quote unquote, his base, his audience, the people that are just going to say, oh, cancel culture is the worst. Uh, you know, you're just going to fire him. He did nothing wrong. No, clearly there was something that went wrong. Now, uh, rather than just firing someone and paying them to be quiet, just like, you know, people that are victims have to deal with uh, these long-going and uh, draining lawsuits. And then in the end, they'll just take a payout to drop a lawsuit because it's just easier and quicker. Well, Chris Harrison sort of did that. He took the payout. Um, although, let me like, we're not calling him a victim whatsoever, okay? So maybe don't get that twisted. He took a payout, and because of that, we went two years without hearing him talk when he should have just talked right away about it all. Okay, so... The next part is where Lauren Zima regrets uh, not offering him better advice. I don't think I could have done a better job because for me, you know, you'd been 
famous for almost 20 years, you know, 15 years at least when we first started dating. Um, I worked at Entertainment Tonight. People, Some people knew me from my Bachelor recap show, Roses and Rosé, that I started. Um, but I was not on the same level by any means. And I'd certainly never been through any type of scandal. So it was all very new to me. And it was a trial by fire of this unprecedented time in all of our lives, the stress of that. And this added... So I don't think I could have done a better job in advising you. I I was just doing the best I could with the information I had at the time. But I do have regrets about some of the things that I suggested or the sounding board that I was at the time. You know, because a lot of the a lot of these thoughts, which she's about to get into, were to be quiet, to let it all blow over. And what they didn't realize is there was a group of people that weren't going to let they they wanted a statement. And in the past, you know, you you just kind of made a mistake, and you just uh, like time would heal things. But in this case, no, time gave people a chance to contact advertisers, uh, boycott the show, the, you know, all these types of things, uh, which is a good way for uh, progressing change. You know, uh, that's always a good thing to you know for activists. But uh, it would have um, it would have uh, calmed a lot of. Uh, people's uh, maybe assumptions if he just spoke out. Perspective throughout everything, but it wasn't easy to have people DMing you to or me to die, um, to kill ourselves, to uh, that we're horrible, to, um, you know, that was all really hard. And I was worried about that coming for your brother. So I. But then to hear, you know, you say that it, you felt like asking him to take that down fundamentally affected you and made you question yourself um, is hard to hear. I, I look back on the statement that I put out at the time and I wish I'd done it differently. There was a longer version of it where I said... I know who Chris, something like I know who Chris is as a person. And I know that he, you know, did not mean to come across that way. Or I I can't remember exactly what I said, but there was a longer version where I defended you more. And I was advised, (laughs) you talked a lot about being advised. I was advised, cut that out, like keep it shorter, just keep it short. You have to release a statement. So just get it out and like, keep it short. um, Cause that's going to be better. It'll create less, less problems. Um, and I was a part of that conversation. Yeah, but because I wish I hadn't. <laughs> I know. I so it's very interesting the idea that like people were advising them, maybe maybe wrongfully, to just keep it short and tight, not realizing that people wanted information. I mean, my advice would have been the exact opposite: go talk for five hours, go talk on every single podcast that wants to hear you. Listen, fight for your job, fight for your character, and if you feel like how you were acting in that conversation with Rachel Lindsay wasn't who you really are, then uh, then take that apology off the sheet of paper and take it into your voice so people can hear the tremor and people can hear the timber of what you're trying to say. You should be reading the comments and reading the coverage because you want to be aware of the situation. And also, you know, you're, the viewers of the show were so important to you and to me too, that we wanted to make sure we were trying to do right by people and to make things right. So we were trying to listen um, to everybody, but that also 
kind of messes with your head. And especially it's that thing of, and I think everybody who's on social media knows this. You can hear 10 nice things, but if one person tells you you're horrible or tells you to harm yourself, that hits you a lot harder. Um, so. All right. So she gets emotional, of course, obviously, uh, having dealt with the hate that can exist out there. Something to say, right? Because you have to. Because what is the use of an article that says, hey, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I, I'm curious <laughs> to hear what he's going to say. So basically they're saying that um, the truth wasn't going to get out there because no one was getting their quotes. And, um, you know, again, that maybe maybe they wanted, you know, I guess to take time, two years is a long time. But, uh, you know, like you said before, he felt like, uh, and again, this isn't me defending him. This is me trying to like, you know, pick this apart. But he felt like uh, people were already had already chosen sides. So might as well just take some time off and then talk when things have settled down. Always take the time for every person who comes up to me because I owe all of my success to these people. And you care about the fans and the viewers so much. Um, so, you know, I, I in part say that to say that was what made all this so hard as you talked about in the first episode was how much you love everybody. And, and trying you and I trying to figure out what was the best way to go about reaching those people. And that's what was so difficult. We didn't have this podcast. I wish, you know, good or bad, I think there is this new model that I saw, and it's not whether you agree with them or not, it's just what I saw when, whether it was Joe Rogan or Dave Chappelle speak out when they were going through similar type things publicly, they had a platform. Um, and I saw that and I was like, damn, I wish I could rewind six months. This is what I would have done. I would have sat down here with you and with you at home to have this conversation. And, and Chris, you would have had that platform if you decided to make one. And obviously, I'm not, this isn't one of those like, oh, boomer, boomer instances. But, you know, he's a traditional media and traditional media doesn't always understand you do have the power to share your thoughts and opinions. Now, from what I'm reading from a lot of different kind of people online that think that Chris Harrison has dropped the ball here, maybe, but it's his podcast. He's going to have um, he's going to have more time to elaborate. There may be areas and I, this happens in any sort of fight. I, I you know, with my wife, there'll be times where I'll I'll think she might maybe upset about one thing and it actually turns out she's upset about something else. And meanwhile, I'm laser focused on the one thing. He's had 2 years to over to think about this, but a lot of people are saying well, he is not really addressing uh, what what was said um, in his podcast in his conversation with Rachel Lindsay, but I think what he's trying to get to is that he's not he doesn't want to be defined. And Lauren Zima is saying she doesn't want him to be defined um, for who he was in that moment, but more a collection of who he has been. And I think anyone who has who's had to deal with maybe public. Uh, I think most people that have in some way or another been criticized publicly or have had the public sort of like uh, inspecting their every move, I think you'd understand there is more empathy there. Um, you know, like me personally, like I, I by no means have are at any sort of level of, of Chris Harrison, but I've had people look into who I am, like the stand-up comedy I make and things I've said and done. And it's, it, it is kind of like, oh, okay, you know, you could paint a picture of me if you so choose, and seeing some of the comments people have left summarizing his two hours of conversation or saying, oh, he's comparing himself to the royal family. And well, sure, but uh, not not in a way that um, someone might think if they only read one sentence. It's uh, so 
there will always be people that don't listen to his episodes and people will listen and may still disagree. Uh, but it's, um, you know, it just goes to show our listening comprehension is not nearly what it used to be because we have the ability to get shorter form content, read headlines only, that type of thing. Uh, so that's not to say that uh, people aren't allowed to feel their opinions. I just always say, get to the source, in this case, Chris Harrison's podcast, listen to the full thing, and then your opinion's worth more than maybe reading a recap, including mine. Go listen to the full thing. All right, so let's get to the part where he, where he's told to stay quiet. This is where it gets interesting. And then they can kind of go away for a while and come back and, and do another movie later. Um, but this was being brought up over and over and over again. And I was on a nightly news show and we were covering it every night. And it um, made me look at my own industry very differently too. I was very much on the other side of it. <laughs> this has also all reminded me of how much gray area there is. Like there, are, as you've said, there are people at the show who you still love so much. There are people at the show who are very problematic still. Whoa. And um, for me, you know, I, I, I look now at, I always, when I was covering the show, I'm not saying I didn't try to find the dirt because I did. It's part of the whole machine. But I never wanted to, I mean, I always was running an article where I felt like it was well-sourced. I'd reported the truth. What I realized in seeing the coverage of this was that maybe... <laughs> Unfortunately, even when journalists might think they're reporting the truth, there are versions of the truth. It's not the whole truth. I saw. I remember I saw one source, a source said that you were calling people begging for your job. And I know that that never happened. I think maybe people see, um, maybe their source is an assistant who's heard half of a phone call from another room. And so the version that we get of the truth of what journalism is supposed to be, the first draft of history, gets pretty whittled and watered down. So well, that was in this day and moment. age, that's all it takes, right? One, yeah. one article. All right. So let's just skip forward. We have two more clips to play for you guys here. One thing in looking at the interview and in seeing how you've been in the past year and a half since it's all been over is I've realized how frustrated you were <laughs> at work. Um, you know, I still when I and I can't really go back and watch that interview cause just because it's it brings back so much. But I think one realization I've had is that you people felt like, oh, is this a side of him I've just never seen? No, what that was was it wasn't the truth of you. It was a very frustrated, burnt out, tired version of you. And of course, this is hard for people to cope with. But if I mean, I mean. You, and, and because it sounds like you're apologizing for someone else or making excuses for, but we all exist on a range. We all exist on, on a range where uh, where our worst moments, uh, maybe sleep deprived. I mean, we look at the villains on the show. We took it up. We talk about it all the time when the villains on the show or people say problematic things or something. The worst version of them may come out. You know, hungry, tired, drunk. These types of things. It's not an excuse. It's just a range. And um, so often we think that we are, you know, the hero of our own story and, and we do no wrong. So when we see this, we go, oh my gosh, this is horrible. When in fact, in most situations, uh, when the lights are turned on, when anxiety rises and all these different situations, so many, so many possible outcomes can happen. Um, and you are so rarely that. I, Chris never gets mad. He doesn't, 
really get sad. He, you are the person who's always trying to be strong for everyone around you. Sometimes to the point of some of our conflict comes from me saying, but how do you like, tell me your emotions. How do you feel? Are you upset? I mean, you won't even tell me if you're sick. Um, you're like, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm like, are you? Cause you're, you haven't gotten out of bed. No, no, I'm good. I'm like, okay. Um, but I think in that interview, you were, you know, you'd been filming in quarantine. You'd had, we'd had stretches of, I think three months where I didn't see you, where you didn't see the kids. And some of that had been used against you. Um, I think it, I think it was purposely leaked that you left quarantine to move your son into college. Wow. And I know that that hurt you, that it was kind of um, something that got weaponized against you and you were just trying to be a good dad. I know you were so worried that this controversy was happening about... We almost forgot that part, remember? Remember when he showed up late for work because he had to quarantine because his uh, son uh, went out uh, to school in Texas? Around Rachel Kirkconnell and and you wanted her and Matt to not break up. You wanted Matt to be okay. You didn't want Matt to be going through all this. So this is the first mention of Rachel Kirkconnell. Uh, Lauren Zima is basically saying that Chris Harrison was busy defending Matt James and Rachel Kirkconnell because in the moment he knew they were still together and in the moment, the audience did not know that. So he was trying to defend Matt James and Rachel Kirkconnell. Now, of course, people would say, well, in the process, there was collateral damage being that you were dismissive of Rachel Lindsay. And that which they don't address is why I believe if Rachel wants to, he needs to go on higher learning podcast and talk to Rachel Lindsay about that. So all that frustration and exhaustion went into that interview. And I really saw that you were really tired of a lot. So she says she saw that he was tired and broken down or whatever, you know. And of course, uh, you know, some of my, uh, you know, we all have parents that say things. I remember my mom once, the only time my mom ever swore at me when I was like six, right? She was, she swore. And I just, I saw her snap and it was like horrifying to see. I was like, my mom snapped. You know, I was like, she was the cool, calm, collected one. But in the moment, she was in a, in a place of despair. And those are the moments where we need to, I think, give people the most amount of love his kids soccer team right there's a good headline uh, um the the beauty last clip of my life is that this doesn't define me whatsoever mm -hmm. if it defines me to you that's on you that's not on me and my life and this is what helped me leave the franchise and leave the show is because I've never defined myself by that. Yeah. I was proud of it. It was something I did. It's something I spent a large part of my professional life building and doing. And that was awesome. Now I'm going to cut it off there. You can go watch the full thing. Here's where I kind of disagree. Like I'm not kind of, I'm not buying this argument where it didn't define him. This was the culmination of his life's work. This was the biggest thing he ever did. Everything that he has professionally is because of this show, but I can understand the pride saying this doesn't define me. Sure. Maybe it doesn't define you, but your legacy ha is now, has now changed. And I think once he mourned the loss and, and, and took the NDA and the paycheck to leave, once that all happened, I think now finally two years later, he's like, all right, maybe I need to do some character rebuilding. All right, so there's some very, very interesting things going on in the world today as regards to Bachelor content. And of course, so much can be dissected here, but I want to hear what you have to say. So let's go to three different voicemails and uh, let's go to Rocky in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Your turn to talk. Hey, Dave, this is Rocky calling from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, you know, um, you know, The Bachelor and canceling um, 
you know, the, the previous host. And I just think that, you know, I think I, I was on the other side of it before where I thought that, you know, canceling him was the right thing to do, removing him from the show. And now I feel like we would have done such a better job having a conversation had he stayed and maybe addressed the, the issue more, I don't know, like done more of like a deep dive. And, yeah, I just I'm, I'm really kind of sad seeing how many people were just choosing to deplatform rather than actually having an honest conversation about the topics that, that we're getting outraged about. Um, but anyways, thanks so much for all you do. And yeah, thank you. Rocky, great voicemail. Absolutely. And you know, some people, like I said before, will argue that cancel culture doesn't exist. It's uh, it's not, you're not canceled. It's consequences. Well, canceling, it is a term. It exists in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. To cancel someone, means to stop giving support to that person. The act of canceling could entail boycotting an actor's movies or no longer reading or promoting a writer's works. So he was canceled. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that someone was canceled unright, un, unjustly. Sometimes people are canceled unjustly. But just like you, I've come to the realization that I think the best thing to progress moving forward would be to educate those and not create a martyr out of Chris Harrison you know, as we've seen done on the left and the right, you know, the right, you know, as, as he mentioned in his podcast, Ben Shapiro used him to see, see the crazy left is doing cancel culture. Well, I think we all need to come together and talk more. I think, I think what should have happened was Chris Harrison and Rachel Lindsay should have said, all right, we got, uh, you know, Chris Harrison could have said, I got it totally wrong. Go back on with her and talk for as long as you need to talk. And of course, not only was that my opinion, but that's what Chris Harrison says he wish he did. He wishes he didn't listen to the, uh, you know, the, the people uh, in the crisis management team that were telling him to just be quiet. As he said, when you're quiet, and this might be something new that they, they literally have to put into the, into the PR books for people that study crisis management. When you're quiet, you give the audience the chance to fill in the gaps. And if they are not on your side, those gaps will be filled most likely with the most um, unfortunate level of assumptions. And we all have a platform, and we do. We all, have a, we all have the ability to pick up our phones and get our message out there. And if your message is important enough, and if you feel like you've been, I don't know, um, uh, treated in a way that's not uh, honest to the intention you have, you get to share your story. And if it's a big enough story like this, even if Chris Harrison never had social media, if he created some Instagram account and shared his true thoughts and, uh, you know, th- true thoughts and opinions and apologized, the that would have gotten out there. It would have been far more telling than just releasing a statement. Okay, let's go to our next voicemail here. We have two more. This is uh, Steve in Minnesota. Hey, Dave. My name is Steven. I am from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm just calling about the uh, Chris Harrison stuff. You, don't you know, say. I got to say my one instant uh, takeaway from watching him is he, ca- he talks about how he didn't want to be involved with anything to do with the race. He didn't want to be negative. And that sounds a lot like him with what he was saying in the first place. He didn't want to be negative. He didn't want to say that she was being racist. He didn't want to get race involved into all the situation. And yet here we are two, later, two years later, and he's doing the same, same junk all over again. I am unsurprised and uh, doesn't seem like he changed. So anyways, bye. There you have it. Steven says he doesn't seem like he changed. And I, I would say that the biggest uh, sort of um, 
a comment thread that disagrees with how Chris Han- how Chris Harrison is handling this is that he doesn't talk about how he you know uh, the collateral damage that happened through Rachel Lindsay's eyes. So in trying to protect Matt James and Rachel Kirkconnell, in you know he was trying to p- protect Matt James along with Rachel Kirkconnell. He could have been less dismissive. All right, our last comment here, our last phone call from Ohio. Hello, Braylon from Ohio. Um, long time, long time fan. Love your content. I listened to both podcasts, and I have to say the sincerity was there. A lot of honesty, a lot of self-reflection. I think the biggest thing that I saw was just because it was a moment doesn't define him. And I think sometimes we need to be able to step away in order to come back. But that doesn't mean we don't want to take responsibility. Love your content. Hope to talk soon. Thank you so much, Braylon in Ohio. Love the accent we got going over there, Braylon. I thank you for the phone call. Again, if anyone else wants to leave a voicemail, 401-213-9828. All right, let's get to our final clip of the day. This is the fun clip where Chris Saracen kind of throws some shade at Nick Vile saying oh, he was trying. He wanted he wanted my job and I, yeah, a lot of people wanted his job, but I'm going to play this video for you guys. If you want to check out the full video or any of these full videos, go to YouTube and just check them out. I've got three videos up today. And don't forget, as always, to make sure to follow, subscribe, like, comment on Apple Podcasts and leave a nice review. All right, here we go. Here's our final clip of the old Chris Harrison saga today, at least. Brian Lauren, Brad Womack. It's tough when you start naming names. It's like there's this, I could go for miles of Tristan Ryan and JP and Ashley and uh, Jaden Tanner and uh, Jojo and Jordan, who Lauren and I love so much and Bob Guinea and Andrew Firestone, Ben and Ashley. I know they're not a couple, but you know, they do the podcast together and they actually spoke very highly and, and glowingly of, of this announcement um, last month. And I appreciate Ben and Ashley very much. And Andy Dorfman, I'm so happy she's found love. And um, Sarah Heron, who's going to be a mom, and Leslie Murphy, who is a mom, and and Tenley, who is. And so, you know, and even a guy like Jake Pavelka, Jake Pavelka reached out. Wow. Um, the guy who helped me coin the phrase, everything is about to change. Um, <laughs> Raven and Adam up there, Chris Souls, uh, the miracle man, Eric Beeger, got to mention him. One of my favorite human beings to come through the show. That's Spirit. Uh, he, he and I have had some great conversations. Um, since all of this went down and I appreciate it. And even those that were critical early on, here it comes. I'm glad I've gotten to run into a lot of them. Uh, Mike Johnson was, was one who was very critical, outspoken as soon as this happened and understandably so. Um, and we ran into each other ironically in Vegas at an iHeart event and gave each other a big hug, had nothing but love. And, and he, I, I very much appreciate he reached out to me while we were sitting there and spending time together and just thanked me for being kind of that big brother and always being there for him. And um, it was good to not necessarily make amends because we never got sideways. This is what I like. Mike Johnson can criticize Chris Harrison. Then they can have a conversation. And it's like, you know, we can realize it's kind of like a big family. Like we've all got members of our family that say or do things that may be insensitive or downright problematic. And like, you can't, Disown, I mean, you could disown your family, but um, that that's not what leads to growth. Now, of course, set boundaries, take care of yourself first, things like that. But just to reconnect. And, you know, Nick Vial was another one who, Nick wasn't really uh, 
strongly against me or, or said anything, but you know, I think Nick was one of those among many who probably saw the the blood in the water and and saw the opportunity of a job that would be really phenomenal. And I no doubt he wanted that job. And but we saw each other at Wells and Sarah's wedding and and gave each other a big hug. Saw Chris Souls there too. It was good to see Chris. And speaking of uh Wells and Sarah's wedding, which was phenomenal. Few bachelor people, a lot of modern family people. Um, Wells has always been a very, he, first of all, he's a good man. He's a very good man and a good friend of mine. Um, he'll never beat me on the golf course, but that's beside the point. He, um, Wells was in a very difficult situation because obviously he was still kind of connected to the show and he was doing stuff on paradise, but he, he was one of the first to reach out to me and just say, Hey, look, I'm, uh, I'm staying out of this. You know, I, I love you, respect you. And I appreciated that. I appreciated him because if anybody had sights on the job, it could, it easily was Wells and deservedly. So by the way, I, I, I thought, to be completely candid that Wells was going to get the job. Wow. All right. So there's Chris Harrison. He said, I thought Wells was going to get the job, but now I can understand Chris not wanting anyone to come to his defense. Of course, he said he didn't want his brother to after his brother penned an opinion on, on his character. And, uh, but it's one of those things I can only imagine. You don't want people to have to deal with the hate you're receiving, but I'm sure Chris Harrison doesn't forget those that did come to his defense. Now, of course, Wells was war like had a job at Bachelor in Paradise and people with jobs aren't going to defend. That's, that's what it comes down to. It's everyone's looking out for their own self-interest. So when you do see people that do defend him, and again, not defending Chris Harrison's actions, but defending the fact that he's more than what he might have come off as in a bad moment. And I think that's what people um, that, you know, people will to this day still agree or disagree with uh, the handling of it. But I think most people agree, including Chris Harrison, that it was a messy interview that led to his firing. All right. So very interesting. I wanted to share with you a few things that Nick said on his podcast about wanting the job. And I can understand that people think that what Chris Harrison did was an easy thing, but I, I that'd be an ignorant statement to say, we don't know. You know, as like someone who's been in the Screen Actors Guild for pushing on 15, about 15 years now, you when, when acting is done well, it looks natural. You only notice it when it's bad. Same thing with hosting. You only notice it when it's bad. We don't know what's below the surface with what Chris Harrison brought to that uh, hosting role. We know with Jesse Palmer, he's doing a damn well good job. Uh, um, but Nick's going to kind of criticize Chris Palmer. I'm sorry, Jesse Palmer <laughs> in a second. But here's what Nick's statement was initially. And again, it's a fair statement. Nick offers a fair statement when Chris was going through his, uh, uh, you know, his uh, sort of firing. After seeing Chris's very disappointing and harmful interview with Rachel, I've spent the past two days speaking with many people from Bachelor Nation, including those involved. This is a teachable moment for us all. It can be uncomfortable to recognize our own ignorance, but without recognition, there can be no accountability and growth. And that's what we all want, right? That's what we want it, to live in a society that's progressive in our ability to be accountable, but also growth. See, Nick didn't just say accountability. Accountability means fire, never talk about it. Growth means overcoming that, having discussions. And um, here's what Nick had to say. And uh, oh, this is actually a funny clip where Chris Harrison offered Nick advice that unfortunately Chris Harrison could have used. I feel like we have similar senses of humor. It's a kind of dry, sarcastic. And Chris just texts me and goes, 
Don't, don't mess this up. up. <laughs> <laughs> don't mess this up. That was your congratulations. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, I could. I, that was really. It was really a fantastic. Don't up this up. I really. And then of course, Chris for sure effed it up. Now here are my two videos reporting on the matter here with what Nick thought of Jesse Palmer as the host, and then what Nick thinks he could have done better or could have brought to the table as a host. About things like racism, diversity, emotional abuse. Gender Gas, dynamics, gender dynamics, queers, like you, you know, know, with Demi, like yeah, yeah, uh, bisexual relationships. Mm-hmm. And is Jesse Palmer the guy to have these conversations? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know Jesse Palmer. I know he's been calling X's and O's. Like, I don't. And know. And of course, if- I commented. I found that dismissive that he's been calling X's and O's because obviously Jesse Palmer has done more than just call uh, NFL football games. But you know, but understandably, he was also a lead on the show we had jesse on i mean and, clearly he's media trained, and we had so. he's media trained totally. yeah but that's what i'm saying like yeah, historically like, you, you got away with a host that was just more like hey man like i'm just here like just a suit it's just a super mm. like hey guess what most dramatic season ever and i think i think that nick could admit if pressed by a producer or somebody here that chris harrison's job is more than that as host i don't exactly know what it is but it seems to be like it's more than just showing up on the dotted line and saying well this was a tough you know week for you you know you know but like the show has evolved the audience has evolved there's a greater expectation the show i don't know if the show wants to be but the show has become like ingrained in pop culture and and the and and society and in social media are wanting to have these conversations mm-hmm. the show is about dating and relationships okay so and that's and that's of course where we are still to this day is kind of reckoning with what is the show about here's what caitlin said after she found out she was no longer going to be host of the show i felt like i deserved to like go on especially if there's two bachelorettes and i just felt like i was in a good position i'd proved myself and I thought in my head, like when they gave me the call and said, and people were like, oh, Caitlin said she got blindsided. I, maybe I did, but I did get a phone call. And they said, I'm sure you saw this coming. And I was like, no. I- so of course, everyone is the lead in their own story. Caitlin thought she would have been great at it. Heck, I think I'd be pretty good at it. <laughs> Who doesn't, right? We don't, we, but, but of course, I'm more complicated than that. Here's what Nick all had to say, a final clip. Bummer. I, I want to ask you, Lisa uh, uh, and Amanda, what do we what do we think of Jesse Palmer? It's it's. I was asking Natalie as well when I was watching it. By the way, he does the Becca Kufrin style of question where he begins the question, then inserts his answer. <laughs> Hard for me not to be biased. I feel like when people like Fair. myself or Wells or Ben or Caitlin why, and Tasha, why not you guys? Who all think I could have done this? Yeah, you know, and, and maybe Fair. you know. Um, and what he means is like obviously Jesse Palmer was a bachelor as well as Nick was. So yeah, of course. Like, yeah, they could have done it. Tasha could have done it. Uh Ben Ben Higgins could have done it. Yeah, they all they all are good looking and, and sort of have media training by being the lead. Uh, but so did Jesse Palmer. And Jesse Palmer was also on a bake show, so he wasn't just calling X's and O's. He's got a lot going on there. And maybe Jesse Palmer just has better agents, but also maybe Jesse Palmer's farther removed, a little bit older. Like Nick and Tasha and Ben Higgins and all of them, they're all at on at the right age that they could be intermingling with these contestants right all right well we talked so much today didn't we and you guys stuck around i appreciate you don't forget voicemail number 401-213-9828 uh if you ever want to donate to the channel my my channel you know i'm a independent you know 
entertainment news journalist, whatever you want to call it, recapper, uh, not a journalist, a recapper, uh, go to patreon.com slash Dave Neal, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dave Neal. And there you can uh, sign up for any membership tier as little as $5 a month. And it helps the channel. So I appreciate all of you guys. And we are only two weeks away from the launch of the new season. This will be the first uh, time we're doing Bachelor Rush Hour, the podcast during the season. And boy, how are we going to make it all happen? I'm not sure, but um, I need to get a coffee sponsorship, or maybe an Adderall sponsorship at this point. All right, folks. Well, I've been Dave Neal. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow. This was Bachelor Rush Hour. Bachelor Rush Hour.